three weeks ago, we started a series here where we decided that we were going to dig real, real deep into a subject that I believe if you put the principles into action, hey, you good, Richard? That if you put these principles into action, will literally in every way change your life. They'll change your purpose. It'll change you being able to live out your calling. It, it will change your mental state. It will change your emotional state. Because when this area of our life is not right, it affects every area of our life. The number one reason for divorce is because of this. The number one reason for suicide is because of this. The number one reason people cite as not being able to live a fulfilled life is because of this. And of course, we're talking about how we deal with our finances, how we handle our finances. And if you're a first-time guest today, I get that immediately you get real tense and think, here we go, another church, Barry, something is not right while my mic is driving me crazy up here. Please fix that. Um, it's real echoey, so it's going to make me lose my mind, and I'm already in a foul mood, and you know, I don't want to yell at you, Barry, because you're awesome, and you're here every week, and I don't want to yell at Tim, because it's his first time running sound, and I'm going to yell at Glenn, just because I can. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we come to you today, distracting morning, Father, and I got to get zeroed in, because, man, I hate dealing with Stupid stuff, Father. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Lord, I pray this message goes to the people that need to hear it today. Father, you say your word will not return back void. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I say this every week of this series. And I, I'm not apologizing for the series because the series needs to be taught. But I think because the church in general has done such a weird job or an unjust job when it comes to talking about finances that people automatically get tense when they hear the preacher talking about money. But here's the deal. The purpose of this series is not to talk to you about you giving your money. The purpose of this series is where you can talk about receiving your money, where you can talk about how to manage the money you've been giving, because the reality is the large majority of people are in financial straits, and the problem is not that they have a money problem. The problem is they have a spending problem. We spend more money than we make. We buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have, to impress people that we don't even like. We're living paycheck to paycheck, wondering how we're going to survive. And it's affecting our marriages, it's affecting our mental state, it's affecting every aspect of our lives. So what we've done is we've been breaking this subject down. In the first week of the series, we just kind of got all on the same page. And we looked at how to have a godly perspective on our finances. The way the Bible talks about our finances and the way the world talks about our finances are at opposite ends of the extreme and therefore they don't coincide. And so what happens is we're growing up with the world telling us how to make our money and the way the world says make our money is charge it and loan it and borrow it and finance it and do whatever and we're robbing Peter to pay Paul and we're miserable and it's not working but we keep on doing what we keep doing because that's the way the world says to do it. Yet the Bible over here gives a whole different perspective of our finances. 
And the Bible talks a lot about our finances. Matter of fact, 15% of all the teaching that Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was literally about finances, how we handle our finances, what we do with our finances, how our finances control us. And so we got all on the same page the first week. Then last week we got on the subject of getting down very, very practical. We talked about the fact that it sounds great to follow biblical principles with our finances. It sounds great to talk about how we spend our money and not to spend more than we make. And all of that sounds really good, Gary, on paper. But the problem for so many of us is we're not starting at a level ground. We're already starting at debt. And I gave you all the statistics last week on debt and talked about how debt is affecting us. And we talked about the different things that we're going to do to get out of debt. Because before you can start getting your finances in line, before you can start controlling your money instead of your money controlling you, you have to eliminate the debt in your life. And we talked about that last week. We got very, very practical. But don't miss this. We got very, very biblical because the Bible lays out the patterns and it lays out the routines and it lays out the steps and the principles that we need to do in order to get our finances in order. And everybody's answer when it comes to getting out of debt is I'm just going to make more money. The more money you make, the more money you spend if you don't know good biblical principles on how to manage your money. I tell people all the time, it's just another zero. Add another zero to the salary, we add another zero to the house payment. We add another zero to the car payment. That's why we have athletes and rock stars and all these people who make millions and millions of dollars and we don't understand why they're filing for bankruptcy because they don't know how to handle their finances. Now today I want to talk to you about a subject. I've now been teaching and leading churches for 22 years. And I've never taught on this subject. I fought all week long about teaching on this subject. I even felt like I had in my head that we're not ready to hear about this subject. Because this is a frustrating subject, especially when you're in debt. Because what we're going to talk about today is the last thing on your mind. But I've been through these steps with so many people. I've done financial peace from Dave Ramsey with so many people. And we're talking about offering that in the next month. And we'll be talking more about that. Um, here at the church, which kind of takes these principles and breaks them down over about a 10 or about a 10 or 12 week period. It's phenomenal class. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think Tanya May is going to do that. I think my wife's going to help her with that. And it is a great class, but I'll be talking more about that hopefully next week. But I always stop, and you always watch, even when you watch the, you do a Financial Peace University, which is the class. Once you get to the debt portion of the thing and how to eliminate your debt. What happens is the class drops because nobody wants to hear about what you do after you've eliminated your debt because all they can do, they can't see the forest for the tree. They can't think about the future because they're so busy stuck on their debt. And so they think, this, I'll handle that later, but here's what I see happen over and over. They eliminate their debt. They start working to get rid of their debt. They get very close to eliminating their debt, and they haven't thought about the next steps, and they go right back to square one. It's kind of like an addict who relapses. We don't understand why it would happen, but it happens. Why would you do all this work to get out of this debt, to only be like, oh my goodness, now I have all this money, and I have all this free monthly expenses, and we go right back and we get a nicer car, and we go more credit cards, and we buy those clothes that we've been doing without for all along, because man, we were living like no one else, and we want to live like no one else. But the problem is we're living like no one else, 
so we can live like no one else, debt-free. But we get back in debt. So I'm going to talk to you about a subject today, and I'm going to go ahead and let you know that this is an area in my life and it's an area in Christine's life that we're just now exploring. We're just now, at 42 years of age, being able to venture into. It's a subject now that we've spent the last few years getting our finances in shape that we're just now to get to. So there's a lot of times that I can get up here and I can teach you from God's Word, and I can give you story after story in my own life. Then there's sometimes that all I can do is give you the principles found in the Bible and show you what the Bible says about this subject. So what we're going to talk about today, because remember, we're going in our steps. We've now eliminated our debt. We talked about that last week. Now we're going to talk about the subject of saving and investing money. Saving and investing money. If you're a first-time guest today, I, I, I want you to know, this is not a normal message that we do around here. It's kind of a different type of message around here. So I hope that you'll show us a little bit of grace today if you think it's an odd subject. Because I would imagine that it is an odd subject if you only showed up for this message. But tying into the entire point of the series, it makes a lot of sense because here's the reality. My job as the, as the pastor is to teach you the principles from this book on how to live the life you were created for. And make no mistake about it today, God created you with a purpose. God created you with a vision. God created you with a mission. God looks at you and he sees greatness in you. He wants to do great things through you. But the problem is so many of us will never step out and do those great things we were created for because we can't afford to. And what a shame. So know at the end of your life, you had all these dreams and all these visions and all these ambitions, but you were a slave. And make no mistake about it, we talked about this last week, you're a slave to MasterCard. You're a slave to Visa. You're a slave to the car payment. You're a slave to the furniture that you rented. You're a slave to the TV that you're leasing. Isn't that amazing? You can lease a freaking television. If you're leasing a television, I'm not trying to upset you today, but you need your head examined. My job here is not to tickle your feet. My job is to tell you there's a reason you live paycheck to paycheck. And it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you spend. So there's two types of people in the world. <laughs> there's those who save, and there's those who spend. Now how many of you would say, Gary, I'm a saver? Raise your hand, leave them up. Wow, there's not a lot of savers in this church. My wife would raise her hand, there's about ten of you. Now, how many of you would say, Gary, I'm a spender? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, and all the savers are like, I am married to a spender. <laughs> My wife is a saver. My wife and I have more money in our bank account than we've ever had in our life, and if you talk to her, we're a paycheck away from being broke. All the time. Now, I'm different. When we were a paycheck away from being broke, I was, I was like, it's just money. I want this. Let's go get it. She's a saver. I'm a spender. <laughs> so let, let's, let's raise those hands again. If you're a spender, raise your hand. 
Ushers, I want you to check out all the spenders for the next time we take up the offering, okay? I'm just kidding. We got windows to put in this bad boy. (laughs) Oh, me. Savers and spenders. And like I said, most of the time what's funny in relationships is they're married. The saver's married to a spender. Hence, why financial stress is such an issue in marriages. So here's where we're at in the series today. We're past creating a budget. I told you last week you can create a budget in one night. I was blown away by how many people sent me private messages with questions about the budget. Awesome. Love seeing you guys do that. Then last week we covered we're going to create an emergency fund. Now here's what happened. Somebody came up to me after the service and said, that's great and I love those principles. That works if you have a nine-to-five job. I haven't had a nine-to-five job my entire life. It works no matter what because they're biblical principles. That's the whole point of a budget. When you have a budget, it doesn't matter if you get paid on the 1st and 15th. You have a budget. You know what has to come in in order for the budget to be met. You might have to get a little more creative if you're not 9 to 5 and you don't have that steady 1st and 15th paycheck. But actually, it's good and bad. You've got to be a little more creative, but you also have the ability to make more money, therefore, to get your emergency fund. So remember, we're going to put a budget together. We're going to create an emergency fund. $1,000. How are we going to get $1,000? You're going to get $1,000 ever how you can. You're going to go sell the cat. You're going to go, if you've got to sell a child, you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to get $1,000 in the bank because here's what happens. Life happens. There's nothing more frustrating and discouraging than you're trying to get out of debt and the car breaks down and suddenly you've got to come up with $300 and what you do is you pull out that $300 and you put it on the credit card. Now you're in more debt. But if you've got an emergency fund, it takes care of that. I don't have time to go into all this. I did it last week. Then we're going to talk about the debt snowball. We list all of our debts out. We start at the smallest one. I actually had people tell me this week, I paid off my smallest debt. Hold on. That's awesome. But here's what blows my mind about that. You did that in seven days. I responded back to the person. I said, how did you do that? Well, it really wasn't that much money, and I, I, I did this, and I did this, and I flipped a couple of things, and I got a hand. I got my $1,000 emergency fund and this in one week. I said, just out of curiosity, had you been making that minimum payment on that debt, how long would it have taken you to pay it off? They said, oh, I had to pay it off for 14 more months. But yeah, they paid it off in a week. The principles work if you work the principles. (laughs) We've got to be smart with our money. We've got to put in the work so we're not back in the same position we were when we started. And this happens so many times. We get to eliminate our debt. We're debt-free. We have no bills, and we justify going right back into debt because we don't stop and listen to the saving part and the investing part. The Bible says this in Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. How many kids are in the service right now? Raise your hand if you're a kid. Kids, kids, kids. All right, the Gary Lamb version is go to the ant, you lazy ass. I'm just trying to put that in in, in terms you'll understand, okay? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. It says as you're dealing with life, think about an ant. An ant smart enough to know that when it raids your picnic basket, 
and it carries your piece of cheesecake off, and it goes walking away with your fried chicken drumstick and your macaroni and cheese, it knows, hey, let's eat a little bit right now, but let's save a little bit more for later. Because later on, we're going to be hungry. And the Bible says we need to be like the ant. We need to be smart and plan for the future. We need to be smart with what we have. Again, we don't need to take our fried chicken and eat it all. Lay a little bit off to the side. I was studying ants this week. Because I wanted to get down to the, this verse. And it says you'll never see an ant raid a picnic basket and stop right there and start eating the food. It takes the food, it goes back to its house. It then divides the food among all the other ants. I don't know if you've ever attacked an ant house or ant hill or whatever it's called. There's millions of ants in there. They set stuff up. They say the deeper you get into the ground of an ant hill, you'll see there's food stored down there for when things, when there's lean times, when there's hard times. An ant gets this concept, yet you and I don't. The thought of a savings account is a foreign thought to us. I went to the bank about a year ago. Christine handles all of our finances. And she said, hey, can you stop by the bank and make this deposit? I stopped by the bank to make the deposit. And so I like to play real dumb with the bank because I don't know how to fill out anything. So I'm like, hey, I don't know how to fill this out. My wife told me to do it. And I give them that puppy dog look and the lady fills it out for me. And it works out really good. She goes, would you like me to show you how? I'm like, well, if, I sh if you showed me how, then there'd be no point in you having a job and them paying you. So why would you show me? It's job security is the way I look at it. I'm providing job security to that lady by me not knowing how to do it. But I went to make the deposit, and she said, checking our savings. Didn't even know we had a savings. I said, literally, I said, are you sure you got the right name in there? She said, yeah. She said, checking our savings. I started panicking. I didn't know. I said, well, let's throw it in checking. That way, if there's any checks out there, and if not, she can move her. I got home. I said, did you know we have a savings account? <laughs> Christine's like, yeah. I was like, for what? She said, what do you mean for what? For life. I was like, oh, okay. So the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools. Man, the Bible's hardcore, ain't it? Fools. Gulp theirs down. A minute ago was calling us a sluggard. Now it's calling us a fool. In other words, wise people don't consume all they have. But they save and they have leftovers. But what kind of man spends everything the Bible says a fool does? And so many of us are fools when it comes to our finances. A modern translation of this would be a fool... Lives paycheck to paycheck. A fool has nothing set back for an emergency. A fool doesn't plan for the future. Now let me make this clear and give a disclaimer here today because I don't want to make anybody feel bad that shouldn't feel bad. I completely understand that we have some single moms out there who are making minimum wage You've got a deadbeat ex, and he's not helping at all, and you're doing everything in your power just to provide for your children. I understand that. I get that. I get that we have some people in this church that are on disability, and you have a set amount every month. Okay? 
I understand that. There's exceptions to the rules, and I understand that. These principles still work if you work these principles, and we'll get into that. But I understand that. So I, I'm not bashing you today if you live paycheck to paycheck, if the circumstances sometimes dictate that. I, I get it. But the large majority of us are in a position that if we put these plans into action, if we do what the Bible says about our finances, I am convinced that within three to four years we can be better off financially than we've ever been. But here's the problem. You just heard three or four years and you shut down. Because that seems like an eternity because, man, we're a microwave society. For the first time ever, yesterday, Christine had to work. She was gone for the day, and I was in charge of dinner, and it was crazy around the house. And so I got on Google, and I Googled a Crock-Pot recipe. I'd never used a Crock-Pot in my life. That's the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my life. I dumped all this stuff in a crock pot and I flipped the switch over and I went back like eight hours later and dinner was done and the kids liked it. And dirtied up one thing and I even put a little plastic bag in there so I had to pull it out and throw it away. Like I was in a roll yesterday. You know? Sometimes you got to be a crock pot. You got to realize stuff's got to marinate and it cooks a little bit slow. But here's the deal. If it takes you three to four years, what is that in the grand scheme of your life? If someone told you that you'd be dead broke for four years, but if for at the end of that four years, you'd have all the money you could ever need or want after that, there's not a person here that wouldn't jump on that, except a short-sighted person. And we're in that position. We can take three to four. And some of you would take 12 months. Some of you would take six months. I had a, a, a person come to me recently talking about their debt, and they were stressed about their debt. Man, I'm glad they were stressed about their debt, and I'm glad they were worried about it. But I asked them how much they owed, and they told me they owed, they owed right around $1,000. Now, I'm glad they're worried about $1,000 because it starts as $1,000 for everyone. $1,000 can be paid off in three months if you quit being a sluggard. Quit being a fool. So I don't know how long it will take you, but I know that in the grand scheme of your life, it's not that long. So after we've paid off our debt, we've got to get into the concept of saving, and then we're going to get into the concept of investing. So what are we saving for? I'm glad you asked. The first thing we're saving for is emergencies. Say that word with me, emergencies. Second thing we're saving for is purchases. Ladies, I didn't say purses. The third thing we're saving for is our future. Leave those up, Xander. Emergencies. Let me make this clear. A new iPhone is not an emergency. Your plumbing breaks, that's an emergency. Your car breaks down, that's an emergency. See, after you get out of debt, what you're going to do with that emergency fund, you're not just going to have $1,000. You're going to build it up to where there's three months in there, six months in there. Our goal right now is to get up to a year's worth of savings by the end of 2019 
a year's worth of paying all of our bills. Why would you do that? Because it just eliminates the stress. Something goes wrong, y'all run me out of town, man, I'm good to go for a year. You give me a year, I'll be fine. You give me seven days, I'll be fine. We're going to save up for emergencies because emergencies happen. Your dog comes in. Your wife takes her wedding ring off. She lays it on the counter to do something. The dog eats it. you got to go to the vet. you got to get x-rays. you got to wait for it, the dog to, to do what it does to get the ring out, and that costs a lot of money. I'm not saying that's ever happened, but anybody with a dog is like, amen. amen. That costs a lot of money. I'm just saying. That's an emergency. Those of you without dogs are like, that's disgusting. Those of you with dogs are like, yeah, I get it. We're going to save for purchases. Did you know, check it out, check it out. This is amazing concept right here. Are you ready? It's okay to buy stuff if you have the money. Want a new couch? You got your emergency fund all to the side? You're out of debt? Go buy a new couch. You want your nails done every week, ladies? And you're out of debt? And you've got your emergency fund? Go spend your money. You work hard for your money. You're working where you can pay cash for the things that you want. Imagine walking onto the car lot with cash money and buying the car you want. That sounds crazy. Does it sound really crazy? At the end of the day, thirty dollars or $40,000 saved is nothing. You're too broke to realize that right now. I've got a buddy of mine right now who's starting a business, and everything costs money. He had to pay the other day a graphic designer $150. Oh, my God, $150. I said, $150? I've spent thousands of dollars in marketing and branding and logo designs from company. But here's the problem. He's never had a business be successful, so in his word, $150 might as well be $10,000. I don't think anything about dropping this amount of money on that because I know how much money is going to come from it. It goes back to a mindset thing. And the problem right now is you serve in your mind a small God. I said in your mind you serve a small God so it blows your mind that you could walk into a car lot and pay cash for a car. But you get your finances in order and you can This isn't a principle for wealthy people. (laughs) This is a principle that gets people wealthy. This works. I don't care how much money you make. The principles work because they're biblical principles. We're saving for purchases. You want a new kitchen table? Go buy a new kitchen table. We're not going into debt... Because we've saved up our money. And then we're going to save for the future. What does that mean for you? I don't know what it means for you. Maybe you want to pay for your kids to go to college. That's the future. Maybe you want a house on the beach. That's the future. I want a house on the beach. I've never made bones about that. I want a condo on the beach. I want to preach on Sunday. I want to shake your hands at that back door. I want to say, deuces. I want to go to the beach, and Saturday about 3 o'clock, I want to drive back to Canton, preach on Sunday, and I want to leave again. That's what I'm rolling for. I'm planning for it. I got about, I won't talk about that. 
I got about four more years for a lot of money gets freed up. And I'm putting myself in a position that when that gets freed up and our finances are where they be, here's the deal. I want to be on the beach. I love Canton, but I want to be on the beach. I'll come back on Sundays and preach. We're saving for the future. I don't know what the future looks like for you. If you've got 772 kids like I do, they all have crooked teeth. That could be braces. But here's an amazing thing about braces. The place that we take our kids to, do you know that if you pay in cash up front, you get 25% off. 25% off a five or $6,000 purchase is huge. But the only way I can do that is if I have the cash to do it. And how do I have the cash to do it? I save for the future. What's the old saying your granny say? Save for a rainy day. We're going to save for a rainy day. The problem is, this sounds amazing to us, but we don't know what to do. What's the future for you? I don't know what the future is for you. Here's the deal. The future for me is I don't want to be 78 years old eating cat food because I'm so broke. The future for me is, is I don't want to have to work the rest of my life just because I have to work the rest of my life. We've got to learn how to save. And the problem is that blows our mind because we don't know how to prioritize our dollars. There's needs and there's wants. People are buying what they want. Oh, don't miss this. People are buying what they want. And then they don't have enough money for what they need. Always amazing to me. I'm going to step on a lot of toes, and it's going to sound real a-hole-ish today. Always amazing to me. This is me turning to my head to see if I should say this. You're not the ones that got to deal with the backlash when some, somebody posted on Facebook. Always amazing to me when someone calls and says, hey, we need food, we need this, we need that. I'm like, we just down at the church. And they pull up on their brand new Escalade with their brand new iPhone. And a cigarette hanging out of their mouth. And their hair just done. They got a lot of wants that are getting met, but the needs, food, are not getting met. You say, what do you do in those situations? We give them food. I give an account for myself. They give an account for theirs. My job is to love people when they're unlovable. My job is to love people when they throw rocks through the window. Because you know what? Can I be honest with you? When I was about 16, I threw rocks through windows. I smashed a lot of mailboxes in my life. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. You say, well, that guy wasn't a teenager. I don't. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Now, they came in today and they said, do you want to press charges? I said, yeah. Because here's the deal. <laughs> you do the crime, you do the time. But only we don't still love. There's consequences for our actions. We've got to learn how to get to the point where we're saving. We've got to learn how to prioritize our dollars. This is so key. 
You've got to tell your money where to go. I'm going to do something I've never done before, ever, ever, ever in 22 years of preaching. Instead of me teaching you the next part of the message, I'm going to show you a video where a pastor that I greatly respect shows this principle. I saw it this week, and I was like, oh, man, that's a great illustration. I'm going to do it up on the stage, and I'll show it to everyone, and it'll make sense. But I thought to myself, you know what? Sometimes it's good to hear another voice. You ever have your kids, and you tell them, don't do this, this, or this, and they look at you like you're crazy, but then you have your friend come along and tell them the exact same thing? And they're like, oh. I'm like, I've been telling you that for years. So Greg Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church. It's one of the largest churches in America. They're the creator of version on your phone. So you're going to see some weird graphics at the beginning, and this is from when they taught a series very similar to this. But he does a great illustration that shows you how we prioritize our money and then how we get to the point past saving where we can investing. And then I'm going to come back and show you some biblical principles about investing. Xander, will you show that video, please? So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to prioritize our dollars. How does that work? Well, each month we have a certain amount of money to live off of, and we're gonna give a priority to each dollar that comes in. Guess what? It's payday, and you just got paid $100. As a Christian, we believe that the first 10% of what God gives us goes back to God through the church. So if you're taking notes, our first priority is the tithe. The first 10% of $100 goes back to God through the church. That's the first priority. Our second priority, if you're taking notes, is our expenses. You have to eat, you have to sleep somewhere, but guess what? Our living expenses have been, well, a little higher than they should be because we're spending money on some things that we shouldn't buy. Unfortunately, we've been living paycheck to paycheck and our remaining $90 has been going into the expense budget. But here's the good news. You've embraced the value of sacrifice. We're going to give up something we love for something we love even more. You've embraced the value of self-control. We're going to say no for a little while so we can say yes for the rest of our lives. We've embraced the value of planning. We're going to have a budget. We're telling every dollar where to go. And with our new values, because we've been aggressive, maybe we sold a car and got a less expensive one. Maybe you stopped drinking expensive caffeinated drinks. Maybe you stopped eating out. And after your aggressive planning, you've managed to cut your expenses $20 a month. And guess what we're going to do with the extra $20? This is going to go to the priority of the emergency fund. Remember last week we talked about putting aside $1,000. We're going to work our buns off to set this money aside for emergency, so our extra $20 goes to the emergency fund. Now, here's some more good news. You've been tithing, and God blessed you. You got to babysit this month, and you got an extra $10 for babysitting. You also sold something on eBay, and you got $20. So we tithe from our income. This goes to God, and that gives us an extra $29 to put toward our emergency fund. And guess what? Before long, it's payday again, and the cycle continues. Not only did you get $100 for your normal job, but an extra $10 again for babysitting, and your rich uncle died and left you $20, totaling $130 this month. The priority, the first 10% goes to God through the tithe. Then we put 
the next $70 toward our expenses. And guess what? We've got $47 to go toward our emergency fund, and in no time at all, you'll have your $1,000 emergency fund fully funded, and you've accomplished the first priority. Congratulations, time to celebrate, and now your priorities changed. Instead of trying to put money to the emergency fund, now we have a new bucket, and we call it, if you're taking notes, the debt bucket. Here's how it works. It's payday again, and what are you gonna do? You're going to tithe, and you're going to pay your expenses, and everything that you have left, everything you can earn and scratch together, now goes toward debt. You remember last week we talked about the debt snowball. We're gonna get aggressive and pay down debt every single month. What do we do? We get paid, we tithe, we put money toward our expenses, and then we put everything toward the debt snowball. And here's the great news. If you don't give up, if you hang in there, if you watch for the blessings of God and put it all toward your debt, you will become debt-free, except for the house. And again, it's time to celebrate, not with a shopping trip to Neiman Marcus, but go to a movie and buy popcorn and overpriced candy. Why? Because you are now debt-free and the priorities change once again. Now the priority is not debt, but instead you've got a new bucket and this bucket is called invest or build wealth. And this is what happens. You've been faithful to God with the tithe and God has blessed you with a raise. Your new income is now $130 a month. Congratulations, you've been blessed. What do we do? The first 10% goes to God in the tithe. Then the priorities actually rotate. We give to God first and then second we invest for our future. How do we invest? We actually take 15% of our income and put it into a pre-tax retirement account. That's about $20. We give to God first and then we invest and then we pay our expenses and uh-oh, what is this? We've got lots and lots of money left over. What can we do? We can give an offering. We can give to someone who's in need. We can help feed hungry children. We can invest more. And you can even get your nails done with little polka dots on it, ladies for other women, because we know you don't do it for men. You do it for each other. What do we have? If we're faithful with what God gives us, He will trust us with more. We're gonna give up something we love for something we love even more. We're gonna say no for a little while so we can say yes for the rest of our lives. And if we'll live like no one else, one day we can give like no one else. Because if we're faithful with a little, God will trust us with That last word was a lot. I'm not a video editor. I tried to edit that video and I cut it off too quick. So check it out. What a great illustration. Do you see how it worked? It's amazing when something's visual, isn't it? So imagine getting to the point in your life. Now listen, listen, listen. I don't want to be insulting. But I know this blows some of your mind that it can happen. But imagine you get your finances in such a way that you can then start investing. So here's what happens as you start investing. You start making more money. 
So here's the deal. Now, as you're making more money, you're making more money. Why? Because you've eliminated all your debt. Now you're making more money. Now you get to live the life that you always felt you were called to live. I don't know what you feel called to do in your life, what your purpose is. It maybe is to work all the time, and there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe it's not to this, and now you get to step back from doing that because now you have money working for you. See, there's two ways to make money. There's two ways. People making money and money making money. The Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You work, you get paid, you get to eat. Single ladies, I told you I was giving this as a preview. Don't marry a guy with potential. How many times have I said, he's just got so much potential. Marry a guy with a job. There's a pastor, he no longer, he no longer pastors the church, but there used to be a pastor in Seattle called Mark Driscoll. And um, Mark Driscoll was kind of known for reaching men. He was just kind of his thing. He had a church of about 10,000, 12,000 people. And he would not even perform a wedding if the man had not done three things. He had to be debt-free, except for a house. He had to own a house. And I didn't really understand the logic. He said it was a discipline thing. He had to know how to uh, brew his own beer. Apparently, brewing your own beer is a, a very meticulous thing. He just thought it would teach them how to be disciplined. So I thought that was a cool thing. So, you know, there was always good beer, and they were debt-free, and they had to have a house. He said, why would you marry a guy without a house? And why would you marry a guy with debt? That's a different story for a different day. But here's the deal. Ladies, quit settling. Men, quit settling. Okay? So if you don't work, you don't get paid. Now, I get, again, there's people with disabilities and they can't work. I understand all that. I'm very aware of that. Listen, we're not talking about the exceptions. We're talking about the rule today. Some of you are going to have to work two or three jobs. That's okay. You're only going to do it for a short time. You're going to live like no one else, or one day you can live like no one else. Guess what? It won't kill you. So you can work and you can make money. But you can also get to the point that your money makes you money. <laughs> if you're putting all of your money towards your debt, then you're actually paying more for something than it's worth. Because there's this amazing thing called interest. So once we eliminate that debt, it's amazing how much more money we have. It's amazing in mine and Christine's life, and this is the only way I know to give examples of it, since we have eliminated debt, it's amazing how much more we get to enjoy life. So remember, we've got to follow the process and the order. You cannot get it out of order, okay? The process is this. Create a budget, develop an emergency fund, get the debt snowball. Then we're going to invest. You find the principle of investment in the story we talked about the very first week, Matthew 25. The man who received five bags of gold, he went out at once and he put his money to work. He didn't put himself to work. He put his money to work and he gained five bags more. I don't know about you, but if you tell me I got five bags of gold, that I put my bags of gold to work, I can make five more bags of gold. I don't know anybody who wouldn't jump all over that principle.
Now, we also want to clarify what investing is. Investing so many times, our mind automatically goes to the stock market or things like that, and those are great. There's nothing wrong with those things if you know what you're doing. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's also what being investing can do. Maybe investing is investing in yourself. It's investing in the right equipment for you to start that company you've always wanted to start. Maybe it's investing in others. I'm in a situation right now in my life that I have investments in three other companies, three other startups, and I'll tell you why I chose to do that instead of the stock market here in a minute. But I'm finally to the point now that I can invest in others that I believe in and I can then sit back and get the profits if they're successful in the long term, okay? He doubled his money. He, he, he invested it. He put it to work. And you can work for your money or your money can work for you. The good news about your money working for you is this. It works 365 days a year. It's like the Waffle House. It don't need a break. It don't take off for Christmas. It don't close down early for holidays. Your money makes you money. How many of you said, Gary, I'd like to get to the point where I can invest some money? Anybody? Wow. Not a lot of vision out there. So for the 30 of you that have a vision, I'm talking to you today. You want to get to the point where you can invest money and your money can invest for you. Okay? The rest of you, cool. Live paycheck to paycheck. I'm not mad. It doesn't affect me. Remember I said the very first week of the series. I want to give you some principles on investing today. Some biblical principles. Here's the deal with investing. Or I, 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 the deal for me was with investing. I knew nothing about it. It was scary. But I read where the guys multiplied their money, and then I read where the one guy just, remember the one bag goat, he just buried it in the ground and did nothing with it, and the master got mad at him. So good stewards of their money invest their money. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to invest, we're, we're not going to invest in things we don't understand. Do not invest in things you do not understand. The Bible says, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. How is it filled? Through knowledge. Here's where investing gets real, real scary. When somebody comes along and tells us something's a great investment, and we don't know anything about it, and we lose our butt in the process. So here's the deal. Some of you, you're in the position, you've eliminated your debt. Some of you are going to be there in a year. Some of you are going to be there in two years. And you're like, now I want my money to work for me. I want to be an investor. I'm a first-time investor. Here's what you need to do if you're going to invest in the stock market or something like that. You need to find someone who knows what they're doing. You need to find someone, because there's a lot of good people who know what they're doing. That being said... There's a lot of shady people who went out and leased a Lexus they couldn't afford and bought a suit they couldn't afford and they got a website they couldn't afford and they're trying to impress you but they really don't know anything about investing because the problem with investors is anybody can call themselves an investor. So make sure you're doing the research. Make sure you're finding out something about them. Learn something from a great investor. Find someone in this area who's a mentor. I have a couple of people in my life that I go to nonstop in this area. I have several different people throughout the years before I take the money that I've worked hard for and that we've earned and I invest in different things. I go to these people and I get their feedback and I get their opinion on it, okay? I'm at the stage now where I'm just starting out in this. So like I told you, I don't have all the answers. But I do know this. When it comes time to invest, do not invest in things you don't understand. Let me give you some examples. A few years ago, about five years ago, I flipped a motorcycle and made a lot of money. And I was like, holy smokes, I'm going to go buy more motorcycles, and I'm going to sell more motorcycles. And I bought a second motorcycle, and I flipped it, and I made a lot of money. And I bought a third motorcycle, and I flipped it, and I made a lot of money. 
And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, if I can flip one at a time, I can flip four or five at a time. Here's the problem. I do nothing about motorcycles. I still know nothing about motorcycles. So here's what happened when I started buying four and five motorcycles. All of a sudden, I was overpaying for the motorcycles and trying to sell motorcycles for more than they were. And all of a sudden, real quickly, I got stuck with a lot of motorcycles. Guess why? Because I didn't know anything about motorcycles. I was dabbling in something that I had no knowledge of, and I was dabbling in something that I had no desire to have a knowledge of. It wasn't brain surgery to get online and research, but I just I wasn't interested in it. I made a quick buck here and thought I'd jump all over it here. I didn't know anything about it, okay? It worked decent at the beginning. I've owned one stock in my entire life. I bought that stock when I was 21 years old, and I spent $1,000 on that stock. I spent $1,000 on that stock at 21 years old because it was the hottest stock out at the time. It was a new technology that was going to change the world. And I had that great investor uncle that didn't know his butt from a hole in the ground who was like, you ought to invest in this. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, yeah. I said, what does it do? And blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, okay, awesome. $1,000. I sold that stock seven years ago for $13. Guess why? Because I didn't know anything about it. My uncle didn't know anything about it, but he called himself an investor. You know? Don't invest in things you don't understand. I went through this about a year ago. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, if you're, if you're familiar with how this works, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm telling you that I tried to understand it, and I could not grasp the concept of it. About a year ago, what was the hottest thing out there? Bitcoin. To this day, I don't understand Bitcoin. It might be the greatest investment ever. I'm just telling you, I don't know because I don't understand it. I got online to read about Bitcoin. I guess I'm just stupid because I did not understand it. I interviewed people that told me they were making all kinds of money at Bitcoin and they couldn't explain it to me. Nobody could explain Bitcoin to me. If you invested in it and made all kinds of money, awesome, I'm glad you could understand it. I could not grasp the concept of it. It's the first time ever in my marriage that my wife, who is the most conservative person there is financially, came to me and said, you know what we should do? We should invest in Bitcoin. I said, why? She said, so-and-so and so-and-so, he just went here on vacation because of Bitcoin. He's making all kinds of money. I said, can you explain it to me? She said, no, but you're sharp. Go do some research. So I went and did some research. I could not grasp the concept of Bitcoin. To this day, I do not grasp the concept of Bitcoin. So here's what happened. I was no longer 20 years old. I was 41 years old, and I didn't invest in Bitcoin. Now, was that a bad decision? I don't know, because I didn't understand it. But I'll tell you this, I didn't lose any money on it. If you do not understand it, do not invest in it. For me personally, at this stage in my life, here's what I understand. I understand small business startup. I don't mean that arrogantly. I don't mean it jerkishly. But I understand. I believe in this person. I believe in what they're trying to do. I believe that this idea will work. And therefore, I have invested in about three different individuals who are out chasing their dreams. You know why I've invested in those three people? Because I understand them. You know why I've invested in what they're doing? Because I understand what they're doing. 
I'm just into the point in my life where I do not understand something. I'm not investing in it. That being said, I want to get to the point where I'm dabbling in the stock market and I'm playing around with long-term investments, but I will not get to that point in my life until I have the time to research it and understand it. Or I find someone who I trust in that field who knows better because I work too hard for my money. So when it comes time to invest, don't be stupid. Did you know they say the number one thing lottery winners lose all their money on is investments? Because suddenly they got all these friends. And they got all these people. And they got all this stuff. And everybody wants a piece of the pie. And they think to themselves, wow, if I can just do that or I can just do this and I can get more money back in return, the problem is they don't understand anything about it. I need to understand enough about it. That way I understand what's going on. Be smart with your money. Don't invest in things you don't understand. Number two, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. My granny used to say this all the time. My granny had a farm. I know it seems hard to believe that I would have been on a farm a lot of my life, and I wasn't very often. But when I went to stay with granny, we had to go out in the morning, and we had to get eggs from the chickens. It's gross and disgusting. I'm not a farmer. Not my thing. But granny always say, don't put all them eggs in one basket. Okay, granny, whatever. Till I'm running in one day with all the eggs in one basket, and I tripped. And guess what happened? All the eggs got cracked. Guess what happened? My grandfather, who was a hard man, his name was Moose. Like, when your name's Moose, you're just hard. Okay? Everybody called him Moose. I don't know that I ever saw my grandfather smile one time in my entire life. He was a hard man. My grandfather expected breakfast on the table at 5 o'clock every single morning before he went and worked out 14, 15 hours on the farm. I'll never forget my granny coming in. My granny was the sweetest granny in the world. She goes, I love you. I said, I know. She said, you need to go in there and tell. She called him Moose. She didn't call him her husband. She called him Moose. She said, you need to go in there and tell Moose why there ain't no breakfast this morning. Uh-uh. And she said, yeah, you do. I'll never forget that conversation. Moose wasn't happy. You know what he wasn't happy about? Not that I tripped. I was happy because I didn't listen. Had I tripped and only had some of the eggs in the basket and had others and others back, it wouldn't have been so bad. That old man died when I was 34 years old. And it happened when I was 12 years old. And he would still talk about it. Remember that dad didn't get breakfast? Uh-huh. You always been stubborn, boy. You don't listen to nothing. I'm like, okay. That was his go-to every single time I did something stupid, which, you know, I did a lot of stupid stuff. So, man, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Check it out. Check it out. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes eleven twelve: Invest in seven ventures. In eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. I tell this to every business owner I consult with. I do a lot of consulting with people starting small businesses. I say, every business you have, you ought to have seven revenue streams coming into that business. So let me give you an illustration of how that looks. So I do a wrestling promotion, okay? So we have a revenue stream of tickets. We have a revenue stream of concessions. We have a revenue stream of merchandise, we have a revenue stream of sponsorships. 
We have a revenue stream of a website that we're creating where you can pay for and you get VIP exclusive stuff that no one else gets. That's five. I'm in the process of working out two or three more. Here's the deal. Why? Because the Bible says we ought to have seven revenue streams into everything. Invest in seven ventures. If you're investing all in one thing, when that one thing caves in and that one thing crashes, you're going to be messed up. But if you've got multiple ventures and multiple investments, when that one starts to... Here's what normally happens in my life. As one starts to tank, the other one starts to go up. That's why I kind of got into the barbecue and brews festival because I thought no matter what happens, people are going to eat barbecue and they're going to drink beer. It's recession-proof. That was my logic on it. Don't put all of your money into one thing. Because if that one thing falls apart, then disaster happens. Dave Ramsey says this. I love this quote. Dave Ramsey says, investing is a lot like manure. If you put it all in one place, it stinks. But if you spread it out, things grow. He says, investing is like manure. If you put it all in one place, it stinks. It draws flies. It's gross. No one wants to be around it. But you spread it all out, man, that grass turns real, real green. And it starts to grow. We've got to get busy looking at different avenues. Once you get to the point in your life you, that you're debt-free, you need to ask yourself, how are you going to be able to invest the money that you have? Like I told you, I do it a little bit different. I don't know a lot about stocks. I have something I really want to learn about. But I invest in people. I've got a buddy that started a gym. I've invested in that gym. I've got a buddy who's starting a coffee venture. I've invested in that coffee venture. I've got a buddy who's out doing apparel. I'm going to invest in that apparel company. I've got a couple of things that I will do. Why? Because I believe in those people. I believe they're all diversified. If I'm not looking to invest in five different coffee companies, I want to invest in one. I did my research on those things. Invest in what you know and spread out the investments. And then, third of all, this one's going to be real, real hard for you, especially if your name is Gary Lamb. Stop trying to get rich quick. Stop trying to get rich quick. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, into trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sometimes... The best way to double your money is to take your money, fold it in half, and stick it in your pocket. That'll hit you later, and you'll understand. And you'll be like, oh, that pastor's so funny. Be smart with your money. Don't try to get rich quick. Men, talking to you here. We're the ones, man. We're sprinters. Man, if I could just invest this and I can do that, man, it's going to double in no time and we're going to be great. <laughs> so we're looking for that big bad deal. That one thing that's just going to flip it all around. If it sounds too good to be true, chances are it is. We're in this thing for the long haul. You've got to invest in the long haul. We're sprinters, and we sprint into our greed and our destruction. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 11, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. You be smart with your money. Here's a real simple formula for your finances. Money plus time plus consistency 
equals wealth. I want to say that again in case you're right. I should have put that on the screen. Money plus time plus consistency equals wealth. I don't know much about the stock market, but I guess it kind of dipped a few weeks ago, and I had all these people telling me they were freaking all out about it. My retirement's gone. I said, were you pulling it out today? No. I said, why are you worried about it? To go back up. You're playing this for the long haul. You're playing this for the long term. You've got to be smart with your investments. I don't invest in anything business-wise where I expect a return immediately. I understand what it takes to make a business. I understand when my wife and I start new ventures, I always say, listen, here's the startup cost. We're not even going to probably get the startup cost back for six to nine months. You understand that. After that six or nine months and the startup cost there, maybe we can start making a little bit more money. So, but we can do that when we have no debt because we're not in bondage to the money. We're not strapped to the money. Pay a little bit here. We can start putting 15. I, I, I know a lot of people because when I saw that video, I was like, how do you put 15% back? For retirement, our investments. You put 15% back because you eliminated all your debt. It's easy. You don't have a car payment anymore. You don't have a credit card payment anymore. You don't have an air and rent payment anymore. You don't have a title pond anymore. You don't have a new TV anymore, payment anymore. You don't have all these stupid little payments. So now you've got this money you're giving to God. Now you can invest. Then you can tackle your bills. We're not to the 15% place yet, but we're 10% to God, 10% to our savings, and the rest goes to living. We hope to up that every year. It takes work. If we were to start being faithful in our investing, it's amazing how quickly it could pay back. How many of you would say, if I was real aggressive about it, if I really tried, if I really tried I don't want you to raise your hands, but I could put back $5 a day. There's no way I could put five back. Yeah, yeah, there is. Don't eat out. Don't buy energy drinks. Don't buy cigarettes. Don't stop at Quick Trip. If you do stop at Quick Trip, pay at the pump. It's like a trap when you go in that place. (laughs) I never lie to my wife. The other day, she called me, and I had, she, we had met at Quick Trip, and she left, and she came back by, and she saw my car. She said, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> she goes, your car's still there. Well, I had to go inside for a minute. Why did you have to go inside for a minute? Well, I saw someone I knew. And I'm stumbling on, I'm the worst liar in the world. And really, I did see someone I knew, but once I was in there, it was like a magnet. I had to have a jalapeno cheddar sausage that was on that roller. And then when I got that, I said, well, i got to have a drink because if you get the sausage and the drink, then it's only two fifty, Chris, you know what I'm talking about? And that's a great deal because it's going to be $2 just for the sausage anyway. So they say I knew I had a sausage in me. And then it was like, oh, man, what, two for $3? <laughs> well, dang, that's only a dollar more. I get two sausage, jalapeno, cheddar. They're awesome. They're incredible. And that steamed bun... $5.60 later. And stone cold busted from my wife. But do you know that if you took $5 a day and you invested it, and we're talking about long-term investment, remember we're not talking about getting rich quick, at a 12% return, at five years you'd have 12 grand. Not a lot. It's more than you have now. Ten years you'd have 34 grand. 
But in 20 years, you'd have 150 grand. In 30 years, you'd have half a million dollars. If you could make it 40 years, and this is why everybody who's under 30 ought to be listening to what I'm saying, $5 a day, you'd have $1.7 million in the bank. All $5 a day. Maybe you're a little bit older. You're like me. You've got to put a little more back. You've got to skate, scrape and save and do whatever to be investing in that money. You say, well, you're not going to get 12% back. Okay, cool, man. You get 6% back. You only get half that. That's about $800,000. I don't know. Maybe you roll different than me, but I'd like to have $800,000 right now. <laughs> man, if you're young, God, I wish someone would have taught me these principles when I was in my 20s. If you're under 30, you ought to be dancing in the streets with joy right now because you could come up with $5 a day. If we're a little bit older, we got to be a little bit smarter. I get that, okay? So, if you're 30 years old, you make $48,000 a year. That's the average income now. But you're an underachiever, so you're not even going to get a raise over the next few years. You're just going to make $48,000 for the next 30 years. <laughs> you can even do much better. If you were to make $48,000 a year and put the 15% back into your 401k, that's $600 a month, and your 401k had a 12% return. Let's just use it for giggles that it has that. At the end of your retirement, you'd have $7,058,863 in your 401k by putting 15% back for 30 years. How many of you that are 60 years old today would like to have that kind of money? I'm just asking. Got to live like no one else where we can live like no one else. I don't want to wait till I'm that age. Linda, you feel like you're anywhere near the end of your life? You're just getting started, ain't you? You're just living. It's funny. I used to think 60 was a long way off. I'm closer to 60 than I was 20. Wish I was 60 years old and had 7 million in the bank because I was smart enough. I'm even dumber than you. Let me tell you how dumb I am. Just to make you feel better about yourself. Okay? When you get in ministry, you had the option, and everybody was doing it 20 years ago, but you got to make a one-time decision, then you can never go back and reverse it. When I was 20 years old, 21 years old, I opted out of Social Security because pastors can do that. What does that mean? It means I don't even have Social Security when I retire. Well, it won't be there anyway. Well, it definitely won't be there for me. So you know what it means? I've got to be even smarter with my investing. Someone asked, why are you so consumed with this? Because I'm 42 years old. You ain't going to listen to me forever. I ain't going to be able to give them, scream and shout. And, and, and no offense, even though you do listen to me again, y'all don't pay my bills. So I'm not going to be able to hustle like I do forever. So I got to get why the getting's good. And I get to live the life that I want to live. And my goal in life for everyone is for them to get to live the life they want to live. And the life most of us want to live is not being a slave to our job. It's not being a slave to our finances. Life is too short. 
Now, I told you the first week of this series, only about five or ten of you are going to listen. And I accept that. Not mad at you, because again, you don't affect me. But I'm telling you, the five or ten of you, it's going to change your life. The last time, I think it was about seven years ago, we did the Financial Peace University. I think we had 20-something couples sign up all the way to the end. About nine couples made it to the end because it got too much. Twelve weeks was too much, you know. And only one couple out of that that I know of put it into place. And I told you that was Phil and Tanya. You want to talk about two people who changed their life by implementing these policies and these procedures? Now, did that make it not worth it to do that classroom? No, it made it worth it for them. And it would be worth it for you. You want to change your life, change your finances. I'm going to wrap up the series next week talking about the end goal. It's going to be back to a little more normal service. This was a weird one to me because it's not something I'm living out yet fully in my life, but I felt like I needed to teach. I fought all week about skipping it. So not the most interesting, so I hope you don't judge it by one message, but it's needed. Some of you are going to get to the point where you get to invest And imagine getting to enjoy life and doing whatever you want to do because you made grown-up decisions today. You think I'm going to feel guilty when I buy my condo on the beach and I'm laid out there in my Speedo every week and y'all are talking, must be nice that the pastor's got a condo on the beach. We must be paying him too much. And I'm going to, in my mind, flip you the bird and be like, it sure is nice. Because I decided to live like no one else. Now I get to live like no one else. Hey, we're going to create a budget. We're going to build an emergency fund. We're going to pay off debt. Then it gets fun. We're going to start to invest. Your money is going to make you money. Imagine being in a position, your best friend comes to you, and you know they've had a concept their whole life they want to go out and do, and you know it'll work. And you're like, I want to be part of that. I get to invest in that. It's awesome.